Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. And a little bit of good news today, and that is that I am fully vaccinated. I'm two weeks out from my second shot. You know, psychologically, it is um, feels good and is something of a relief. However, I do know that the variants, the COVID variants, could probably still make some trouble going forward. I'm just hoping that these vaccines that so much time has been put into developing will handle most of these variants, but we still got to be careful. So I will continue wearing a mask, and I hope that all of you either have been vaccinated or can be vaccinated sometime in the very near future. Today we add another episode in our In the C-Suite series. Our guest today is Arnie Snepvangers, CEO of Eaglet Eye. Arnie is my second CEO international guest, and I've got a third coming up here in a couple weeks, a CEO from France. I'm really looking forward to that too. Eaglet Eye is a small med tech company based in the Netherlands that makes a high-tech product called the Eye Surface Profiler. And this product helps assist eye care professionals in fitting specialty contact lenses, which is a growing market. It's a very important growing market for people that have a variety of eye conditions that specialty lenses really help resolve. Small med tech companies were especially vulnerable during the pandemic. Today, we learn how the Eaglet Eye team adapted and employed modern demand generation tactics and learning management system tactics as a response successfully and economically. Most of you also know that I'm the host of the MedTech Leaders Community. This is a community where MedTech leaders and those aspiring to be leaders get together to help each other out with best practices problems, solutions, ideas, and successes. You can learn more about this community at medtechleaders.net. There is a 30-day free trial. If you like this podcast and videocast, be sure to rate it, recommend it to a friend, and or subscribe. You will find links to Arnie, the Eaglet Eye website, and his learning management system of choice in the show notes. Now let's get together with Arnie and learn what it's like to be the CEO of a small European medtech company surviving the pandemic. Arnie, it's a pleasure to have you on the program today. I'm really excited to talk to you about what it's like to be a CEO of a small agile um, company and what your challenges are. Well, thank you for having me, Ted. It's an absolute pleasure. You bet. And this is going to be a lot of fun because in the preparatory call that we've had, some things came up that I thought were very interesting, especially relative to small med tech companies. We're going to explore those. The other thing listeners should know is I've known Arnie for, gosh, yeah. um, 10, 10 years, 12, 15 yeah, years? Yeah, I'd say 2006, yes. or something. Yeah, yeah. Right, so almost 15 yeah. years. Wow. Yeah, so it uh, goes back. And yeah. we 
both spent a lot of time in, op- in the ophthalmology uh, space, and that's where you are now. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a, a brief description of Eaglet Eye and then what your role is there. Yeah. So Eaglet Eye is, uh, is still a, a small company. We've been around for 10 years now. So startup, well, you know, <laughs> it's stretching it a bit. But um, so we're in the domain of uh, contact lens. Well, what we basically do with our, with our device, the eye surface profiler, is we measure the full front surface of the eye, whereas all other devices either uh, measure a part of the cornea or, or, or there. So, and, and we've put our focus on automating the contact lens, the specialty contact lens fitting process. That is, that is the, 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 the goal in, uh, that we're pursuing. So uh, we've been at it for a while. We really want to, to transform uh, contact lens fitting. So that, that, that really takes time, but we're spread out now in 18 countries, uh, about a hundred devices. So, and showing some good uh, sales growth um, in the second half of last year and continue on in this year. So we're, uh, we're actually in a, in a very good, uh, very good phase right now. And your position? My position is that of the CEO. And um, yeah. I'm, uh, now in, in, a, in a company this, so, and do you mind saying how large your team is? Yeah, we're six people. Okay. And in a company like this, um, because you've bootstrapped it a lot. You know, you haven't gone out and tried to raise a ton of money, which can be smart because having money is a good thing because sometimes having uh, such and such percent of something is better than having a hundred percent of nothing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard that term before when it comes yeah. to financing. Yeah. On the other hand, it creates some other pressures that may not be um, stabilizing in a small company as you're trying to grow. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know it's 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 such a hard question. You know, uh, when you don't have it, you want you wish that you had, and if you if you have it, then you you have all the milestones that you need to meet. So it really depends on 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 where you are in the in the curve. Are you still in the valley of death, or are you actually at the start of your growth phase? Eh? Is is it really taking off? And 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 of course. The, the 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 dance with that you have to dance with these investors is a tricky one because you have to of course you have to show the big picture and you need to make you show them that you can grow but if if your product if you're still educating the market creating that the developing that market it can take longer than than you might have thought originally and if you are bound by very strict milestones I mean, I know a good number of CEOs who were very successful in, in raising capital, but because of missed milestones and, you know, that can happen, they're all out, you know, they're not CEO anymore. So, you know, it, it's, but it's a tricky thing. You know, if you, if you just focus on bootstrapping, you might not reach your potential at all. You know, you might just, just go very flat and, and, and secure. And, but what are you going to end up, you know, uh, right. do you reach your potential? It's something you should be kind of reinvestigating on a, in a periodic uh, way. Yeah? You should go back to that question. Are we funded enough? Are we, what should we do to really reach our potential? Now, in your case, we won't go into how much funding you know you have taken advantage of, because you know everybody has to have a little bit of some money from somewhere just to get started, right? 
but in but we'll just make the case that you haven't taken much or a lot of funding. So in that in in this type of situation, do you then not need a board of directors or do you still have a board of directors for a company like this? Well, not at the moment we don't. Uh, you know, a board of directors quite often brings extra costs with us as well. Uh, I mean, we have external shareholders at the moment and of course, uh, keeping up relationships with those and, and informing them timely is, is extremely important. And uh, But the, let's call it the, the number, excuse me, of external um, uh, investors is, is so small that we, we can do that direct face-to-face with them. Correct. So, and the reason I'm asking these questions and pointing this out is just to make sure the listeners and viewers understand how different, uh, different st- uh, companies are, you know, that have a CEO mm-hmm. uh, that are in, that are emerging in the med tech space. And so even though you've been in business for 10 years, you still act a lot like a startup, which yeah. I agree, which I agree with a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, no, and so, I, I would classify ourselves as a startup still, because because with a team of six, come on, uh, you're you you're, you don't have departments. <laughs> I wear right. so many hats still today, you know, and and that's the name of the game of of of, of the phase that we're in right now. Uh, exactly. <clears throat> now, a few minutes ago, when we were talking about Eagle Eye, and you explained that your device measures the in, in the entire front of the eye, mm-hmm. which is a significant advantage when you're trying to fit what we call now specialty lenses. Yeah. But what, what, what was your objective 10 years ago? Because specialty lenses, lenses seem to have really come to the forefront in the last five or six years, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So what was your objective when you started? Were you still thinking specialty lenses or were you thinking something broader or different? Ah, uh, no, it was, it was quite clear to me and, and, and to my team that, um, at the, 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 well, there's a couple of things. Um, specialty lenses was this, this kind of industry stuck uh, with an artisanal long learning curve kind of uh, uh, process in in the fitting uh, process, and it's exactly that kind of uh, stuck industry that you love to to introduce some new technology to to uh, to see if you can can create uh, something that really turns it around. And um, so it, it's it's been our goal from the get go. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And. What has changed? Now, one thing before I get into what has changed, what I want to explain to uh, listeners and viewers who are not that familiar with the optom- optometry and or ophthalmology market is that these specialty lenses are not like the one a day or one a week or the, the contact lenses you get from Johnson & Johnson in a large pack and you, you know, you, they're, almost, they're sort of disposable. These specialty lenses are made for a number of certain conditions. And what Arnie was referring to is that it takes almost an artist of a fitter. The optometrist has, is almost like an artist to get this right, which of course then means that the number of people exposed to these specialty lenses isn't as high as it possibly could be. The market could be a lot larger. Um, and there's sort of restrictions to access because of that. But 
Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you is, <clears throat> is anything changed in contact lens design that um, makes your product even more important in the last, you know, two or three years? Yeah, you can definitely say that. Um, it's it's uh, basically what you see is that because there there were no devices to to measure the the 3D shape of the eye, and 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 as you explained so well, uh, this this is a you need to be an artist. You really need to have uh, the eye to uh, to fit those lenses. Their their geometry, their designs were were pretty basic. Uh, because that's what you could do, what you could handle. And, and what you see now with the advent of our device, but also our competitors, that they, they, they really push this along as well, is that these designs now have become more customized, more personalized, um, some even completely freeform now. And those kind of uh, freeform lenses, you need, absolutely need the 3D um, uh, measurement in order to fit those. And, and so you have a, a kind of a, a, rein, a mutual reinforcement between, between what our device can do and what the, the lens manufacturers can provide um, to the market. So there's, there's a very nice acceleration of, uh, of new designs coming, uh, coming to the market. And what percent of the contact lens market do you think is specialty lenses? Ah, that's a good question. Um, the 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 uh, the the the, day, the single day uh, lenses they are are extensively bigger. Uh, I mean the the market is the market size is huge, but still I'd say it's about fifteen percent thereabouts. Wow! Wow! Okay, that's that's good. And so the your I think what you're referring to is that. With your device now, somebody could measure a person's cornea, yeah. and using that measurement, they could now create a custom uh, lens for that cornea, for that eye. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, and uh, yeah, <clears throat> as opposed well, to for the, for the other designs, we've uh, we have developed a fitting algorithms <laughs> that will basically match the the shape of the eye that's just been measured to uh, um, any, any kind of lens design out there. Okay. And in some cases, like these specialty lenses um, are really, I guess, well-suited for a disease, for, for example, keratoconus. Mm -hmm. what, are, uh, what are some of the other conditions that can occur with the eye, the cornea, whatever, that would require specialty lens? Yeah, keratoconus is quite uh, quite a commonly uh, occurring condition of the of the cornea. Uh, severe dry eye is definitely also on the list, and um, and what is also on the list is myopia management. So um, our kids and 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 next generations, we all become more myopic, and 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 this myopization, so the decrease of your your visual acuity happens primarily during the, your growing years, so in your teens, more or less. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, that is a problem because um, high myopes, and I'm, I'm one of those, um, they later in life, they have a significant increased uh, chance of getting uh, diseases that can really make you blind. And so there is, it's been qualified by the world uh, health organization as a as a global pandemic, 
years ago. It is something that also draws a lot of attention for specialty lenses. Oh, that's interesting. Now, one of the things we alluded to earlier when we started this conversation was that the the state of the art before instruments like yours were available was that somebody had to almost be an artist in addition to being a good you know eye doctor optometrist ophthalmologist to fit you know these specialty lenses now your device is is available and people are obviously from the success you've had especially uh, last year and going into this year obviously people are adopting it more does this make does this give access to specialty lens fitting um, to a broader group of optometrists absolutely um, you know the it's exactly what you say it's such a long learning curve and it's also you know it takes long chair time so you spend a lot of time with each uh, customer each patient before you have the right fit so it's it's the business model of it for an optometry practice is it cannot, or sometimes it's just not worth it. And so what we do is we reduce the number of refits, we shorten the whole fitting process. And meanwhile, we, of course, we increase the, 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 the outcome. Uh, we improve the outcome. So the attractiveness for independent um, optometry practice of, of getting into specialty lenses really increases significantly. So not only does it make it available through more optometrists, but now that means specialty lenses can be offered to even more people. Yeah, correct. Which is, so they sort of feed each other. Yeah, they do. And it's an interesting point about optometrists. And I'm sure most of the listeners and viewers see an optometrist, if, if, especially those in the United States, Australia, the UK. There's, they're starting to show up a little more in some European countries. Otherwise, you might see an ophthalmologist. But optometrists are very customer-centric. And when you made the point a second ago that it just wasn't worth it, to try to fit specialty lenses if you didn't have the right equipment and if you weren't going to get results. And the reason for an optometrist is that they are very customer focused of all the medical professions we deal with. They might be the most customer centric of all, and they can't afford bad word of mouth about an experience in their practice. Because if one person has a bad experience, let's say, let's say it's a, a daughter of a family of five has a bad experience. Then that whole family quits going to the optometrist. Yeah. They'll go someplace else. So you're right. They're very sensitive about making sure if, if they're going to get involved in something like fitting specialty lenses, yeah. they want to make sure they can do it right. Yeah, absolutely. What also uh, plays a role here is that uh, so scleral lenses is a particular modality that is uh, specifically uh, good for keratoconic eyes. That has been growing 25% year on year for the, for the last five years. So, you know, there is a lot of buzz around that, of course. You know, people want to get involved. And, uh, but if you don't have the skill, what do you do? So it, it, it really, there's a lot of things going on there. Right, right. Okay, great. Well, we've, we've, so we've explored that. So I think the viewers have a good feeling, viewers and listeners have a good feeling for what you're involved in, what you're trying to achieve. Um, And I guess I should ask, you know, are there product line extensions or are there even 
new, uh, completely new products that you're considering in two or three years? Hmm, good question. <laughs> and not an easy one, actually, because we, we see that uh, this is such a problem that we're solving is, is really a global problem. And, and, and with 18 countries, you know, we're, we think we're, we're doing quite well, but there's so much more we can do within this application. But I'm definitely interested as well in uh, investigating surgical applications for this device. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of surgery done on the on the front surface of the eye, even on the on the sclera, on the on the white of the eye. And well, if it's on the sclera, then right now they don't have accurate measurement to uh, to guide them. So we're we'll we have plans of looking look into that. But um, yeah, okay. Uh, just a funny note is it, it, I've seen reports that contact lenses have become more popular again because of wearing face masks. <laughs> People are getting tired of their glasses getting fogged <laughs> up. up. Yes. And so yeah. they're going back to trying contact lenses. In fact, I was considering it. I wore contact lenses many years ago. And, yeah. um, but, you know, I, I went back to glasses but the new contact lenses have so many new uh, features and benefits that it's crossed my mind. Um, yep. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, how you got to where you are, you know, just give a brief synopsis of your career. So I, um, I did a, I have a master's degree in economics and, uh, and after that I, uh, I went into the software industry uh, business to business software, business intelligence, they call it. So database warehousing, those kind of things. And, and that was kind of fun and exciting. But uh, And I was in, in a, an American company, NASDAQ listed, that wanted to go e-business from, from supply chain management into e-business uh, in, uh, like that. So that, that was in the middle of the dot-com bubble. And when that burst, I, I actually... I wanted something else. So I went back to, to school, did an MBA, and gave myself the assignment to find an industry where I could start my own company and decided on medical devices. And then through a professor there at that uh, that's, uh, MBA school, uh, he introduced me to a startup who had just developed an aberometer, so a device for the human eye. And that was so pure coincidence Whilst the, 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 the industry, medical devices, was my own uh, choice. And, um, and after that, I spent some years with Zimmer, where, where we met. Yep. And, um, and after I'd done that for a couple of years, I went back to Holland, took a sabbatical to find partners to, find, uh, to, to, to found a business with. And I bumped into uh, engineers, technical people who were uh, relaunching a product that's already been invented, and but the initial launch had failed. So they were re-engineering and redesigning that whole product. And that is now the product that uh, this eye surface profiler. Okay. Tell the uh, viewers, what is an aberrometer? What does it do? <laughs> yeah. Aberrometer is, uh, so it measures aberrations of the eye. So those are the local imperfections. Uh, if you if you if you have your eye as or your retina as camera of the the detector, then it goes through all the optics of your eye, and those optics are imperfect. And for for certain pathology pathologies, they will become extremely imperfect. And if you have a device that measures that precisely, it for instance allows for custom wavefront laser surgery. 
So correction of the of the eye. Okay. Okay. And then when you came out of the MBA and you were and you were thinking about an industry to move into, why did you pick medical devices? Yeah, good question. It's it's because the it's so technology driven or it's very innovation driven, you know? We're constantly looking for better ways to 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 help to heal, to prevent diseases in people. So there's a huge hunger for for innovation and the uh, development times and the investment amounts are are within grasp. You know, they are mm-hmm. they're not as as huge as they are with uh, pharmaceutical products. Uh, for example, Right, exactly. And it's funny you make that point because I uh, interviewed um, a chief marketing officer, um, gosh, I don't know, a month and a half ago or whatever. And that was exactly his logic. He wanted to get into life sciences, but he, he just wasn't, didn't think he had the patience of a pharma project, like to be a leader of a company with a big pharma project where right. it could take how many years to even have a product available. So um, similar, similar uh, feelings from, from him. Yeah. How did you know you wanted to be a leader of a company? Is this something that you've known for almost when you started your career, you just said in your head, I'm going to be the leader of my own company someday, or did something happen along your career path? Yeah, yes and no. You know, I, 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 it, it was never, you know, I, I had this dream on and off uh, during, during my life uh, of starting my own company. But is, is that being the leader or, you know, I, originally I was more on the, on the sales and marketing side. Um, you know, I, I, I probably would have been very happy as well just, just being the commercial guy and be very good at that. But in a startup kind of position where I would be part of the, the small group uh, shaping that. And, and, and it's also, yeah, you know, I, I, I bumped into this, this, this team of engineers. They, they were already redeveloping this, uh, redesigning this product. So, you know, I, I entered into something that was beyond proof of concept, proof of principle. You know, they worked very close to, the, to their first working prototype. And, and so I was entering in their domain, you know, but they were kind enough to invite me to take charge. So in that sense, you know, it's, it's not exactly, I can only be the leader. I was invited. So I was, and, I, and what an honor that was. And, you know, it was, um, I I've enjoyed so much uh, of that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Now to have the, the confidence or the willingness to take this kind of risk. I mean, was there anything you did early in your life that would have reflected on this? Like, I don't know if it had been sports or, you know, adventure travel or what your parents did or your brothers or sisters. I mean, is there anything that would have helped form this way early on? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it's, 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 there's no clear kind of really like, like a path, but I think both my parents are quite independent thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they forge their own path. I was born in Africa. I lived in South America, and after I graduated, I, I lived in several countries. So there's always been this kind of, well, it's not adventure seeking, but 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 step outside your comfort zone kind of kind of thing theme that is definitely running through there. And and I had this. I don't know, silly things where, where most of these, these toddlers wanted to be cowboys and astronauts. 
I decided, no, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm not quite sure I understood what it was, but I, I, was, I was really sure that I wanted to be one. And that kind of stuck as well, you know? Uh, you know, is, is that, what is that? I don't know. But, um, and that's also part of the reason when I went back to the MBA, I said, well, you know, you've been on and off with this idea of becoming an entrepreneur. So either you do it now, or you just shelve it and say, yeah, 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 you know, I, I would like to be an astronaut, you know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> and so I, I put it as, an, and well, I was happy then. Well, there's also, again, a, a kind of a mix of, of planning and coincidence that I, that I created this. Sure. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, that, that's great. Is there anything, any good lessons you've learned on your way to becoming the CEO of Eaglet Eye in your past positions that you had or in your education? Were there a couple learning experiences that helped shape how you moved forward? Tons. You know, uh, for me here in this role with this, with this privilege, um, one of the things I want to do is not repeat mistakes that I've seen or I've done. You know, it's I, I, you know, you're given this chance to shape something. You're given this chance to, 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 to create a culture around a company, a young company and a product. And so what do you do? You try to avoid or, or, or do exactly the opposite of what you saw go, uh, going wrong in the past. It's, it's been really kind of leading in, in so many th- decisions and, and directions that I've, I've, I've taken uh, here as, as the CEO. Can you describe something you saw in the past without naming names or companies? Can you describe a situation that was um, as an example? Yeah, there's there's some good examples. So so one company they they created a prototype and started to market that, and it became apparent that this can be easily a trap because they were kind of on the market with their thing. They they developed the manufacturing process on a, on a prototype, and with it, with that I mean it was just metal. It was you know it was screaming to everyone, "I'm a prototype," mm-hmm. and yet. It was so hard for them to uh, to then find the capital to 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 create a, a good looking product that looks professional and and all of that. So that's one of the lessons. So what I tried here with this company, uh, yes, we had one prototype, but it was deliberately designed, labeled as a one off. And so the next product we had, we involved an industrial in, uh, designer, and uh, and we created the production process around. The, the the finished device so we would not be trapped there right and when you say trapped the the company that you're using as an example were they trapped because they were now creating pro, a so-called prototype but it was a product and it did not necessarily leave the right impression on the customer um, and they had to keep selling it because they didn't have the capital to you know redesign it to make it more attractive and more, make it more market worthy that's that, but it was also a very techy company, so they didn't quite appreciate or or see why it is important that your device actually looks good. Okay. For them, it was just a great working device. So, what is your problem? You know, but it, it it's if you look at it, 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 it there were nuts and bolts visible. You know, it it was it was screaming to me. It was screaming. I'm a prototype. I'm not really the, the finished product. Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Okay. No, I understand. That's actually a, a really good example. Um, I think another thing that's interesting when you talk about the 10 years that, that Eaglet Eye has been, you know, working on, on your product moving forward, it's not unusual in med tech for a technology, especially something diagnostic, to take a good 10, 15 years before it really starts to take off. And I've seen this with two other very good technologies that are starting to take off now, but it took them uh, that much time, you know, to go through the development work, to get some of the, the studies and the, um, the white paper, to, you know, to back up the technology, back up the diagnostics and for the market to become accustomed to it. Do you feel like you are um, experiencing some of that same sort of effect in terms of how your product is now recently seeming to get more and more traction? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, if, if, if you told me at the right at the start that it would uh, take this long for, before it really starts to take off, I, 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 you know, I would have, well, thought again of, of doing this. It's, it's been really longer than we had imagined at, at the start, for sure. At the same time, of course, the problem that we're trying to solve is just as, uh, as, as, as acute as it was back then, or you could even say more so. More, yeah. But it is to, to change, fundamentally change the way that people work, uh, how the, the flow within the, the practice of the patient and, and, and also how the, the laboratories, so the lens manufacturers, uh, are integrated into this process. Yeah, that's, that, that takes a lot of time, a lot of education. Okay. Yeah, I agree 100%. Now, thinking about that and thinking about what you've gone through for 10 years, let's talk about what the key characteristics are for um, a CEO in a small med tech startup. Give me a couple of ideas on your mind as to what are key characteristics. Well, you know, for, for perseverance, of course, is, is absolutely essential. You know, you need to be able to keep keep pushing. And, uh, and but versatility, I'd say also, you know, you really need to be able to turn on a dime and, and, and find solutions, find new directions if, if something is, is, is not going ahead. So what are your, what are your alternative scenarios? How do you develop those? And I'd say um, a, a good skill of translating technology to the market is, is I'd say also absolutely crucial. You know, if, if you can have the best technology, but if, if you can't, can't get it across, then, then what use is it? Or you have a fantastic pitch, but your technology is just not providing or is, is not delivering, you know, you're equally uh, in, in a lot of trouble. And so and what I'd you're say, essentially you saying is... One more thing, I'd say yeah. um, it's, it's the ability to bind people, to engage people. It's, uh, we've been so incredibly lucky throughout the process to work with such absolute fantastic specialists in their field uh, that, that, that helped us develop this device, that helped to, to create the clinical applications and all of these things. And if, if you're not capable of engaging them in your, in your project, then again, you're, you're not going to be able to, to finish what you started. And so these would be key opinion leaders? 
Yeah, it's definitely key opinion leaders, but it's it's also on the on the research side. You know, um, some things of our of our device are are pretty straightforward, but others are really rocket science. So, how do you find the rocket scientists who help you to really uh, get it to uh, to an A class uh, plus uh, device? And because uh, you don't have a lot of money, you know, it's it, it's uh, so so. How do you how do you how do you deal with that? Huh? How do you work with that? Right. So how do you work with a key opinion leader? I mean, I've had a little bit of experience with it, but I mean, some of them, believe it or not, can be pretty, I mean, if you went on the terms that they would offer to one of the large companies, they are they can be very expensive. So how do you recruit a, a key opinion leader, you know, to work with you on a regular, consistent basis and, you know, find somebody that's going to pick up the phone when you call them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the end, it's 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 finding what you have in common, the, the common goal that you have, mm-hmm. and 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 particularly in the U.S., the optometry world, um, how do you call it? There's a very healthy, very kind of generous um, sharing information kind of environment created, and really maintained rigorously, and it's it's one of the reasons why U.S. is doing so incredibly well. It's it's because there's a lot of knowledge sharing. Uh, at the conferences, there's organizations that are, are just just for knowledge sharing. It's it's absolutely amazing. And so, what we were able to 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 kind of agree on is is that we all stand to benefit if we grow the specialty lens market, if we allow for more customized lenses, better patient outcomes. That is the that's the level where where you can where you can meet. And then you know there you know you have uh, enough of a personal relationship with them to show you know I'm not making a ton of money right now and and but you know when we in future will be uh, then then we'll be there with you of course right and, uh, so you'll you'll be able to share the rewards later if yeah. if they'll help you now help us now and of course you know it's if if we if we if we don't get the transformation going then it will never happen. So could right. you help with that? Uh, that's that's the kind of the essence of 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 what we're asking. And to if you come to an agreement with a key opinion leader like this, do you just use something like a simple memorandum of understanding to at least have some agreement on how you're going to work together, or is it less formal than that? It's less formal. Yeah. Okay. And um, and it's 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 yeah. And and we we have a we have an absolutely amazing uh, key opinion leader network, and uh, and they are so incredibly supportive that it's it's really it's really amazing. Yeah, that's great. That's terrific. So we talked about uh, perseverance, and obviously you have to believe in what you're doing, and communicate that belief to not only the customers but also to your team, um, especially when you have a long runway. To, you know, to get off of. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm almost, I was almost thinking the other day of calling you the stubborn CEO, you know, <laughs> because you just, because you, you just keep on going, you haven't given yeah. up, you've always believed. And, yeah. and there's that sort of goes, it's a little different than persistent, but you know, a certain healthy stubbornness. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this, uh, thank you. At the same time, of course, you should question yourself. Huh? Uh, right. Am I? Am I? Is this really worth it? Is this ever going to fly? 
and ask yourself critical questions, you know, because uh, life is short. And, uh, and if, if you're really working on something that is, 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 doesn't have enough chance, then uh, perhaps you should, you should just find another way to, to uh, share your knowledge and your, your, your passion and your energy. And, uh, yeah. Exactly. No, there's, there are a lot of things and technologies that don't, um, that don't fly. So right now, I mean, you're not a large company. You're making some really great progress the last couple of years. It looks to me like the market is in your favor. There's products out there that need your technology to work correctly. That's always a great position to be in. Um, what keeps you awake at night now? Um, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a good couple of things there. <laughs> <laughs> things um, that you can tell me <laughs> business yeah, related, well, let me business related. So, <laughs> nothing um, personal <laughs> COVID COVID-19 initially completely froze our market, and, uh, and it, nobody knew where it was going, but that kind of quickly, uh, re-established itself. It, it, it just went back into uh, equilibrium. And so the second half of last year, we've we've had a very good year um, from a, from a sales perspective. But what we see now, the last uh, two months, say December onwards, is that the supply chain, the volatility there is is huge. And uh, we've heard stories of products that are uh, are on wait until 2023 right now. I mean, imagine that happening to our company where oh one of gosh. the yeah. components would be completely unavailable. And, and, and anything electronic, um, anything with a chip in, there is a huge shortage of chips right now. And, there's, 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 uh, and, and we haven't even, I think we, we don't see the effect of the, of the blocked chip on the Suez Canal, but it will have an effect. But um, there is enough of protectionism going around right now. And that's also creating these ripples. But all of these ripples can, can, can create waves. And um, that is, uh, that, that's a point of concern. So, yeah. Right. So far, so good. But the, the, the volatility of it could mean that, that you could be hit by something unexpectedly. Right. Is there anything that you've done to try to mitigate that for, uh, for your products? Yeah, well, of course, what you what you do is is you 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 create more stock, but of course, yeah. stock creates uh, as working capital. So that's that's uh, it's 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 a very precarious decision, a careful decision you need to make. Um, but you need to be uh, yeah, you need to be very alert and have good relationship with your suppliers. And uh, right, yeah. no, no, I understand. I agree with you, hundred percent. Now. Um, You've done some interesting things that we sort of discovered when we were talking the other day, getting ready for this interview that I think are really interesting relative to a, a small med tech company. Um, and one of them is, you know, and I, and I do commend you on this because I can look at a med tech company website and in like three or four seconds, I can tell you if it's uh been programmed for marketing automation or not. I talked to a guy the other day that works for a hundred plus million dollar company. I looked at the website. It was very difficult to navigate. I asked him what the product he was focusing on at the moment. He told me I couldn't even find it on the website. They had so many different products, but 
no search function. And then he admitted that they didn't even have a CRM to capture all the cu customers that contribute to this hundred plus million dollars in revenue. Uh, it was just amazing to me, but you have done some really unique things uh, that I, th that I think are just terrific. So how did you start thinking about setting up your website and your CRM for marketing automation or what we might call demand generation? What started, when did that start and what got you going that direction? Hmm. Yeah. Good question. Uh, yeah. I'd say this is about the time when I got started with this project. I, I read a, a thought provoking story, an uh, article from, from one of the, the big consulting companies where they said they would ban emails altogether. And, and of course, it's deliberately, I mean, who's going to ban emails completely? You, you never succeed there. But the, the, the person then went to, to list why it's, it's such a productivity killer and, and, and how so much productive or even creativity gets lost there. So one of the, again, now, so you're, you're trying to, to, to create a, an environment where, where your company is going to excel. So what I tried from the get-go is we had all of our documents in the cloud so none of the, 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 the local hard drives containing crucial information. And of course, the, the, the cloud server is, we, we, we have complete control over who sees what. But from the get-go, there was not your hard drive versus the other one. So there was no need for me to mill you that file because it's already there. And so we had collaboration software that we started using with and working with. And this is also how I started with HubSpot, uh, which is our choice of, uh, of CRM tool. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was primarily initially just to, to share the marketing and, 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 and sales emails and that we would start gradually to build a, a joint database of, of prospects. Um, but so... All of it was to create a form of transparency that would reduce the number of emails. We're still sending way too many email, internal emails, that is. Huh? Right. Um, but at least the transparency is there. And that's also was the kind of the, the reason why we stepped into to HubSpot. And along the way, you know, uh, I was completely new to this demand generation. And, uh, and we had so many other things to deal with that. But we just did... We shared our sales and marketing emails, and, and gradually we started to build more kind of capability to it. Uh, we have some landing pages now. Our social media uh, efforts are pointing to those landing pages. The landing pages offer some some free content, but also allow you to either sign up for something or fill in a form. Uh, all kinds of ways that we that we kind of pull in more uh, prospects, more leads. And, and we're also now starting to, to segment those leads on, on how hot they are or how cold they are. At what frequency have they interacted with us? Can we, can we make an intelligent decision and, and a segmented uh, message for, for each of these uh, groups? So you're actually starting, some people would call that scoring the lead, giving it a yeah. score for interest. So. Yeah. So you are starting to do that based on maybe how many times they come into the website or they right. go to a landing page, whatever. Do they open the mail that we send to them? Uh, those right. kind of things. Okay. Oh, that's terrific. See, so many companies aren't doing that. And one thing I always say, and tell me if you agree, but 
this is not that expensive. No, part of the, the, the thing when you're a startup. So when we choose a package, we do a, a review of everything that's out there. Uh, but then you you kind of you you jump at something, and and so for our project management, we're, we're we st- we decided on smart sheets, and we're still using smart sheets today because we're kind of used to it. But a real big company would kind of do an assessment after three years: is this still the best product out there? So you're a little bit you're you're stuck in the in the in the funnel there. But they all of them have or most of them have very affordable starter packages and same with hubspot it's very low barrier for for startups like uh, like we are right well I, anyway i like i said before i commend you for doing that and i think it's really terrific and one thing i would tell listeners um is that when you have this set up there is some work in setting it up there does t- does take some work to set these messages up the landing pages and what you're trying to communicate but once it's done, of course, it's never done. You're always going to be adjusting, right, from time to yeah. time. But once the system's up, it's working for you 24-7, yeah. you know, every day, all day long. When that doctor at 9 o'clock at night, when the kids are in bed and he decides or she decides to do a little research, your system's working for you. Yeah. So that was that was something that was interesting. And then the other thing that came up that was interesting in our conversation the other day was learning management systems. So I think if I'm correct, COVID sort of created this momentum toward uh, adopting a learning management system. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we used to have pre-COVID, uh, we'd sell a device, we would go to the practice install and train the team in place eh, for for half a day or a day and uh, that was our that was our way to go but of course uh, COVID hit everything complete standstill we had I believe four customers who just being delivered their uh, their device <laughs> what we we're going to do we, we absolutely no way that we could visit them go the old way so we very quickly had to create an alternative. So we, we recorded YouTube videos of, uh, of, of the installation of the, of, the, of the making measurements and then the, the fitting of lenses and, uh, and some, uh, some PDF documents to go with that. And, um, and that actually, we, we did that in, in three weeks or something, really. Up, and, um, and that was actually not bad, but... It clearly it, it became clear for me at the at the say the fourth quarter last year uh, it was not enough. So so how do you lift it to to a next level? So I started digging around. I I, I discovered that there's this whole world of of people creating uh, online courses. Uh, billions of dollars go 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 into that, and and it's the the, the acronym is LMS Learning Management System. I'd never heard of it before. Neither had I till you said something no. the other day. No. I mean, so, I know I know about these courses and stuff. I know about yeah. all these courses, like these platforms you can go to to learn things, but yeah. I'd never heard that term. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's it's I was starting to Google online learning, and you get all kinds of garbage then, and and suddenly when you have LMS, then you you're in the right niche, and Garner has a has a quadrant about that, and you know all the all this kind of techno uh, geekery. And, and so then we, we, we selected the package and, uh, and found a way that is, that is really, because we have a very specific requirement. 
And we want new customers uh, to be trained in a modular way um, that is engaging, that is, uh, there's some feedback in there. So we have three Zoom calls integrated. And then there is the, um, the, the whole training beyond that that we have. And uh, we hired a, a freelance consultant. And in a, in a week and a half, we had it up and running. That's awesome. And then, uh, so when it came to doing the videos, were you using just basic equipment, not making it super fancy, but just getting the job done? Very basic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we bought a video camera, but that wasn't needed in the end. I mean, the, 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 a good cell phone does uh, just equally good a job. You need to take a little bit more care about your, uh, your, your sound then. But you can easily get a get a remote uh, microphone that you can uh, connect to your to your phone. So yeah, yeah, that's fine. And so for us, it was much more about the content. Uh, what is what is it we're trying to educate? What's what's the content of the education that we're trying to give? Than the absolute perfect um, images. But we we did get quite uh, quite nifty with uh, video editing software because you can do a lot with that. Yeah, you can. You can really dress it up. But I yeah. think that's another point I would like listeners to really understand is a mistake I see people make is they think that to put together some video education, they're going to have to go to a studio or they're going to have to have this very fancy equipment. And if you really look at a lot of um, video education for single products, like it could be a pair of shoes, um, it could be a backpack, it's all done very informal, which is authentic. And people like authentic people don't like models. They want to see a company employee doing something. I'm just going to share really quickly. I'm just going to share this for people that do view. So first of all, I'm just going to go to your homepage. Um, I'm showing the Eaglet Eye. Oh, actually I'm in the Academy. So I guess I can't uh, see here. Here we go. So this is the homepage. So first of all, to have a really, great looking website is not difficult. This is a, it's yeah. a beautiful website. This is the modern type that you've seen more and more now where you can scroll down and learn more about a company and its products and so on. And then if we, then there's the drop down for the Eaglet Eye Academy. I'm just going to go over to this other window, but you can see it here. And not only do you, is there an entrance into the Academy, which is right here. Um, but there's also these case reports down below which somebody can open and they don't have to identify themselves to open these and learn more about the product. But you've got some, you know, really leading doctors here sharing a case report, uh, which gives a lot of credibility to the company and so on. But I am going to now click on the access courses and here we go into ESP installation and induction training. And so now if I click on the access course, it does want me to, um, you know, select the content and it, at some particular time enroll. But here we go. Preparation, module one, install, module two, measure, module three, fit, end of the course. You know, this is just so nicely set up. And I would just encourage, you know, listeners and viewers that this is the way to go. And as you said, you did it very quickly and it was not expensive. Nope. Yeah. Now, if you if you if you navigate through the the different systems and and you, there there are definitely ways. So we we use the Learn Dash, 
with uh, with uh, with a, a freelance consultant, uh, very affordable. Um, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So one thing I'd like to let's see. Um, couple. Do you still well, have a few more? Video editing, what you said before, I, I think yep. this, you know, you know, for for most people, this will be just cut and dried. But you know, if you have a webinar with uh, with a practitioner, for example, I mean, how good is it if you can can take an hour webinar and actually extract from that in in a way that is smooth and 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 good looking? You can extract kind of the the highlights and and have an extra promotional video from that, you know, and 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 this kind of. Uh, agility that you don't have to go to an external uh, video editing company who generally are, are very expensive, but you have somebody in your team who's, uh, hey, I, I can do that. Be agile in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, I had somebody tell me the other day that instead of hiring a bunch of salespeople, they'd hire two marketing people for every sales rep, you know, to do just those kinds of things, right. to give you the content that you can share with people and, and, and gain their interest. Um, do we have time for a couple more questions? Sure. Okay. One thing I was just going to ask you is how are you approaching virtual trade shows, uh, in 2021? What's your, what's your feeling about that? Yeah. So we had our first, uh, exposure, um, second half last year. And then in January this year, um, I have a feeling that many of these, uh, these organizing companies, they're, they're, they're finding their way a little bit They're Yeah. You know, for them, they had to turn on the dime themselves not easy, of course. So you see there's some hits and some misses. The, the interactivity quite often is, is not very good, but we had a, an online Zoom uh, that was an absolute blast with one of these, um, these conferences. And, and the conference organizer, they did a very bold thing by making the registration for the practitioners free. And so they had so many more registered uh, practitioners than they normally would have. And they came from all over the world. And, and of course, that made it for us, the sponsors, uh, really interesting. So it's, 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 it's also, you know, you need a very creative kind of organizing uh, company that, that can come up with these kind of nice ideas. So it really depends on the organizer and the platform they use yeah. and what they're willing to do to incorporate the exhibitors industry yeah. into the whole program. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some of them have been terrible, but I did um, participate in one last summer talk about turning on a dime and they did a good job. They actually guaranteed us five introductions to key people, key attendees that we could yeah. select from. So we yeah. gave them a list and they did introduce us to five people. Um, so Plus, they had speed, you know, networking and a number yeah. of other things yeah. where we met people. Yeah. So it's yeah. good. Okay. So another question: Do you have any favorite books that you recommend to aspiring med tech leaders? Any favorite books that you remember or you think of? Well, yeah, I, I'd say <laughs> just uh, just yeah. Uh, Business books, I've, I've, I've read a lot, but that was earlier in life, I have to uh -huh. say. Right now, I follow a lot of podcasts. I think podcasts are probably the, the thing to steer to. Okay. And um, they, they're such high quality um, uh, podcasts nowadays. And it's, it's a little bit of a, it's, 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 it's exploding or it's, it's growing so fast that, that and again, you almost need a, a professional guide to, uh, to, to point you to things. 
But I, I would I would probably personally I would point people to uh, to podcasts. Uh, yeah, I can't name specific ones that are relevant for business. I mean, you have a very good series, of course, but uh, yeah. Right. Um, I, I guess that all the people watching this are already aware of that. So I, yeah, I, I, I if you don't mind, I, I'd love to to kind of provide a list afterwards, and perhaps sure. you can add that to the comments. Yeah, what I do is I put it in the show notes. So right. um, I'll put that in the show notes if you send me two or three of your favorite yeah. podcasts. And yeah, yeah I, I have a whole bunch of podcasts that I pick from um, some, you know, anywhere from cooking to marketing to right. you right. Know, med tech um, and like regulatory. There's a really good regulatory podcast by a guy out of Switzerland right. um, that I like a lot. So, um, but I only listen to his monthly updates because the stuff in between is so detailed on the regulatory side that I would never ever be involved in that. But well, if you have trouble sleeping, it might help. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a good idea. <laughs> Do you know there is a podcast that helps pe put people to sleep? There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm serious. Problem. And they're yeah. super popular. It's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, crazy, crazy, but okay. Podcasts. So you'll get me a couple of those. That's good. Yeah. Any final thoughts, any final recommendations, thoughts you have uh, for, you know, people that are in your shoes or looking to be, you know, in a similar situation? I difficult. I think we've covered a lot here. Yeah, you we know, have. You know, I've, I've been so lucky with this company. I've been, been allowed to try so many things, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's been an absolute blast in, in that sense. And I'd say that, that, Never stop trying. Never stop trying to 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 throw up. Uh, in Holland, we say we throw up balloons. Uh, see, see uh -huh. if flies are. Uh, we call them uh, trial balloons. It, it just fizzles out. Um, yep. Keep keep on keep on pushing. And, um, and but yeah, hopefully that's not too generic. And uh, okay. Well, like I've told a number of my uh, guests, is that. You know, I hope that maybe we can visit again in a in a year or so and learn more about how you've succeeded in the time in between. You know, yeah. what's occurred, what's happened, how you've grown, and um, you know, we look forward to hearing about success. So, thank you very much for spending time with uh, me and the audience today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, now let me ask you. And be honest, did you know anything about learning management systems before this episode? I didn't know about them as a platform. I mean, I know that you can set up webinars and white papers and put that stuff on your website as something of a learning center or an educational center, but I didn't know about these systems that are platforms that really enhance the learning development process and the delivery of learning to customers. They can really lead to greater customer satisfaction. Also, I hope that those of you that are from companies that have not begun to employ demand generation strategies and tactics, that you do soon. They work for you 24-7, and they always get a good return on investment. I'm really curious to see how Eaglet Eye will be doing in a year, I think that Arnie and his team are well-positioned for success. And they've been fortunate to have Arnie, the stubborn CEO, at the helm. As Arnie said, you have to sometimes question your stubbornness and reevaluate to be sure that you're 
supposed to stick with the challenge at hand or find something else to do. However, perseverance, the polite word for stubbornness, is important when there are factors in your favor and you need that extra determination to climb over the next obstacles. Thanks again for being with us today. Now go when you're weak. 